we are uh, back in the Gospel of John again this week. This week we're going to be in uh, chapter 16, uh, verse 16 through 24, and Jesus is going to remind us about how important it is to have an eternal perspective. So can I ask you to please stand one last time is out of respect for the reading of God's Word. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word. This is out of respect not for the reader, that's me, but out of respect for the speaker who is God. The word tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So let's listen intently together to the reading of God's word. Starting at verse 16. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. But Jesus knew what they wanted to ask him, and so he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while while you and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of my Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask. And you will receive that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank you for your word, the beauty of it, Lord. We are so tempted as creatures surrounded by the world around us to forget about the eternal promises that we have in you and to start buying into the ideas of happiness around us. But those always disappoint. And we have something so much greater in you, Lord. And so we pray that your spirit would bring to mind the truth of the promises that you have given us in Jesus, Lord, that we would also uh, be good witnesses in the world as we wait for you to return. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us minds to obey and hearts uh, uh, minds to understand and hearts to obey your perfect word as you beautify your afflicted ones. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Some of you might have seen that there was a, a study of children, and the point, the, the, point of the, the point of the study was they put these children in a room with, a, with a, a piece of candy, and they told the kids before they left the room, if you... If you cannot eat this piece of candy for 15 minutes, when we come back into the room, we will give you two pieces of candy. And so the video, you can see the kids are in the room, sweating, staring at the bowl of, of 
staring at this candy that's right in front of their face. Some of them are sitting on their hands, bouncing up and down. One kid is trying to chew his arm off. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can almost see, you can almost see their minds playing all these tricks on them about why it would be better to eat the one piece of candy now than wait for the two pieces of candy later. Amen? You know, you know that feeling, right? Uh, <laughs> the point, here's the point of it, was that these kids were, the kids that were better, better able to visualize and to think about the greater future reward were better able to handle the pressure to give in to the lesser short-term. And interestingly, the kids who did better at this test went on to live more fulfilling and more, more joyful and more fulfilling lives. So what does this have to do with us? The point is, what's really interesting about this is I believe God put that principle into creation to show us an even greater reality, uh, a reality that Jesus is teaching to his disciples and also us in this passage, and that is that there is something better coming in the future for us, something better than what we're offered here and now. This passage basically presents two trajectories in life. There's the trajectory of sadness into joy, and also he presents uh, a trajectory of joy into sadness temporary joy. The first trajectory, sadness into joy, is the way of the cross. It's the hope of eternal life. It's the rejoicing in the things of God that necessarily, the Bible says, will bring tears and weeping and lament and suffering. If you represent for Jesus, you will necessarily, in some way, maybe small, maybe big, encounter suffering and weeping in this life. There's going to be moments when you are sweating it out. <laughs> moments when you want to chew off your own arm. <laughs> and pressure from the world to conform and to confirm that their values and beliefs are true over and against, over and against our own. Uh, and so there will be sadness, tears, grief, re- mourning. But the point is, this is, the, this is the important point, is that after a little while of mourning, Jesus says, there will be unimaginable joy. Unimaginable joy. And the anticipation of that joy means that we can rejoice even in the mourning and the sadness of our lives. And the joy and mourning can coexist even in the life of a Christian. The second trajectory, joy into sadness, is the way of the world, the, the hope the hope of earthly pursuits and pleasures for their own end. Uh, As an end in themselves, rejoicing in the temporary things of the world as if that was all there was, Uh, and rejoicing in really what seems like the death of God and the death of the things of God for the short term, for selfish gain. uh, But that does not end well. And so what the Holy Spirit wants to remind us of today, what he wants us to warn us about, to reassure us of what Jesus is telling us in this passage, the thesis is this, that while the world takes joy in death, we take joy in eternal life, now and forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord. That while the world takes joy in death, 
we take joy in eternal life now and forever through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's break that down one part at a time. First, while the world takes joy in death. Look at this first half only of verse 20. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Now, this passage is primarily, it's about the experience of the disciples, about the reality of the church in the world, about our transmigration, really, from this world to the next, from sadness into joy. That's the big, big picture. But in, in the middle of this, tucked in there, almost unnoticed, uh, is the total opposite. Jesus just drops that the world will rejoice, and he's talking about the world rejoicing in the death of God. He wants, uh, he wants to point out to remind us, at least for a moment, that the moral state of the human heart, that the moral state of humanity is such that when we had our opportunity to be face-to-face with God, when we had our real opportunity to be in the presence of God, we killed him. <clears throat> and, and, and not just that, but we rejoiced in it. We rejoiced in the killing of the Son of God. It is shocking to realize, to think about how possible it is, even how popular it is to rejoice in the death of the things of God, to rejoice in, in the death of God and to rejoice in the things of God in the world. This, that sentiment is stated concisely in Revelation uh, chapter 11, verse 10, which is the first climax of the book of Revelation. We believe that Revelation is in different parts and Chapter 11 is a part of it, 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 it in the book where the triumph of the Lamb is being celebrated. But right before that, it has the story of the two witnesses, which represent the church wit- witnessing in the world. And these two witnesses are killed by the witnesses and their bodies left out in Jerusalem. And then it says this. It says, and those who dwell on the earth, the earth dwellers, those are people who do not believe in God, are called the earth dwellers throughout the book of Revelation as opposed to the saints. And it says, all those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. They had a party. They give each other presents. It was a day of rejoicing. And it, it, you know, who knows, maybe a, that Passover in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified, maybe the Sanhedrin had a giant party. Maybe they had a special Passover rejoicing in the fact that they had just killed Jesus. The point is that these, the world rejoices over uh, the snuffing out of the God's witness because that witness to the world is a torment. It's a torment. It's a constant reminder like we talked about a few weeks ago. The world to keep its delusion, must stamp out the truth of God. And so we live in a world, we live in a world still today that is rejoicing in the death of the things of God. There was in 1965, I think, a cover of Time magazine article said, the death of God, when theolo- there were certain theologians who finally were, felt confident enough to announce that 
we now had enough scholastic ability to determine that there is no God. Even theologians were saying this. And they rejoiced in the death of God and rejoiced, uh, really, out of that came what a rejoicing culturally in what was seen as freedom that came from that. The early 1960s were a big party because of that one fact. They had culturally convinced ourselves that God was dead, the things of God were dead, we didn't have to worry about any of that anymore, and so now we were free to go headlong into the desires of our hearts, and so... That's the world we live in now where people are literally pleading with you, pleading with you to exit, to come out of this slavery and into into the glorious freedom of the sons of men. And the temptation, I think we all suffer, the temptation is, man, sometimes that looks so good. (laughs) to just not be at odds with the world, to just to be able to just fit in and just culturally be like celebrated and not have to have any worries or those awkward moments when things might come up where you, where you get outed as a Christian. Sometimes it just feels like, wouldn't it be nice to just fit in? I think that's our culture, cultural temptation. I was at, I was at the Apple store the other day, smashed my screen on my phone for the 18th time, and I went into, I went into the store, and I was just teching out, just geek teching out, I was in there with my day off, I was surrounded by Apple employees, there was like this one girl who had like this, this really pretty beautiful, this like uh, Asian, she was a, a, like a Buddhist kind of a, uh, artistic like headdress haircut with a shave all around the side giant hoop earrings everybody's wearing green shirts I think it was it was like Earth Day Earth Day every day and everybody was just teching out I was just one of the people in the, in the Apple universe I was just having a great time and they're checking my phone the guy who was helping me we were totally getting along he was a super cool guy uh, younger guy and then you know he goes to my phone and he's like so do you use your phone for work yes what do you do? It's like the moment, the moment he says that, right? The whole Apple store goes dead silent. <laughs> everyone, everyone like looks up and turns around and looks at me. All the lights go off. Spotlight hits me. <sighs> so I'm like, so I'm like, I'm going to hedge my bets, and I say. Uh, I'm a Presbyterian minister. <laughs> Guy says, not even kidding. Guy says, what's that? <laughs> I was like, you haven't ever heard of that? I have not heard of that? He's like, I heard the name, I, I've heard the word, but I don't know what it means. And I was like, well, I, it's, I mean, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pastor of a church. And he's like, oh, what religion? <laughs> By this time, they're like calling people in the front door. Christianity, and I was just like, my cover's blown, now everyone knows I'm not like them, and they're going to hate me, they're not going to fix my phone. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to kick me out. The temptation is to want to fit in and to be afraid of that, right? 
But the problem is, uh, that's not the whole story. The problem is that that story, that delusion, doesn't end well. It ends poorly. There's a psalm, Psalm 73, was written by a man named Asaph, and he was, uh, the psalm is a lament because he was angry, jealous, envious of how prosperous everyone in the world seemed to be, but he and the people of God seemed to be getting kind of iced out and, and, neglect, and neglected. And, you know, he goes through this whole first part of the psalm about how they're wealthy, they don't suffer, they have their, their, their oppression is unchecked, they do whatever they want, God doesn't ever seem to defend his people, etc. We experience that in a tiny little way, but our brothers and sisters across the earth experience that in a much greater way. Uh, and at the, at the end of all that rant, he, goes, he, he says, I in vain have kept my heart clean. He's like, this is for nothing. I've, this is worthless. I've done all this for nothing. These people are blessed. We're not. And he was he was angry and envious. And then he says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. In other words, he discerned that the trajectory was from joy and inclusion and prosperity into sadness. And he realized that he and we are truly blessed for what we have in Christ. There's two big takeaways from this point. And the first one is that there is a certain sadness that this should create in us. We should feel a certain sadness about this and understanding the plight of the people in the world so that we're not afraid to witness so that we're not afraid to be Christian in public. Spurgeon has this great quote that said, he said, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. That's the attitude that we should have if we truly understood what was happening. You know, the end of that story is, I said Christian, thinking it was over. I looked at me kind of funny, walked into the back, came back, and then he goes, hey, do you know who Chris Tomlin is? <laughs> of course, everyone knows who Chris Tomlin is, right? Well, he didn't. He didn't even know what Presbyterian was, right? So I said, yeah, I know who Chris Tomlin is. I don't know him, but I know who he is. He's like, yeah, my sister I just went to his concert last night with my sister and it was amazing to see all of those people worshiping God together. And it ushered in this conversation about like the first time that I had walked into a church and, wa- and watched everybody worshiping together into this conversation about the beauty of the worship of transcendent things. How about that? That was God just giving me a little smack upside the head, saying, don't be scared. Speak truth, shed light, love people. Let me worry about your safety. Second thing this reminds us is that Asaph, he, it says he, he, he understood 
He didn't understand until he went into the sanctuary of God. Then he discerned their end. This says a lot about our ecclesiology, our understanding of the church. We go to church to be reminded of the realities of God because honestly, Tuesday morning, Monday morning, Tuesday morning, sure by Wednesday morning, you forgot. We forget. We start getting tempted by those empty promises again. And so we need to come to church every Sunday to be reminded, this is who you are. This is the reality of the world you live in. Yes, it's sad now, but it's sadness moving into joy, to inexpressible joy, and you need to hold on to that so that you can not only make it through this evil age, but also stand and be a witness for this in wherever I send you, even if I send you to the middle of the Apple store. So, point one, the world rejoices in the death of God, and it's so easy for us to forget that. Point two, we take joy in eternal life. Look at verse 20, second half of verse 20 through 21. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby... She no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. The big promise here is that what Jesus is telling us is that the trajectory of the church is the opposite from the trajectory of the world. We have sorrow now that turns into joy. And this understanding, this recognizes three important things. The first one is that it recognizes the reality of sadness and grief, and it recognizes that that is bad. That sadness and grief is not good, that it's not a natural part of the world. It's, it's, a, it's, an, it's, a, it's an effect of the curse. There are some religions that will try to sell you on the fact that good and evil are equal and opposite powers that are necessary all the time to make the world tick, and that they will always be present. But Christianity does not say that. Christianity says that God, in his good providence, has power to use suffering for our good, but it's not the necessary end. It will, some point in the future, end. Suffering and sorrow will come to an end. Uh, And it also reminds us that it's still, that there is sadness... You know, I think we're tempted to think sometimes that we have so much material prosperity in the West that the idea of sadness or grief or sorrow or weeping from the curse don't really apply to us in the same way that it might in other parts of the world. And I don't think that's true. I think even in the midst, I mean, we have this mindset, I want this progressive mindset that material wealth equals happiness, but a a biblical mindset is that deep relationships with God and with other people are what create happiness. And so in the world of material prosperity, it becomes even easier for relationships to be destroyed or not valued in the pursuit of other things. The longer I go along, the more I am convinced and become convinced 
uh, that material prosperity is one of the most successful persecutions against the church because of what it causes us to forget. And when it causes us to forget, then relationships with God, with each other, start to deteriorate. And so the point is, the sadness that you feel is real. You're not imagining it. Even here, even in Southern California, even in San Diego, no matter what your status is, no matter what social group you belong to, the sadness that you feel and the sadness, the weeping, the grief is very real. But it will not last forever. God promises it will not last forever. Two, it really makes us recognize, first thing, it recognizes the reality of sadness and grief and that sadness and grief are bad. Uh, and it recognizes that sadness and joy can coexist. This is true of everyone. Everyone has sadness and joy. The difference here is one of layers. Which, what is your foundation? In other words, what are you rejoicing in as a foundational level? If it's money, or if it's fame, or if it's any other thing of this world that's temporary that can be assaulted, then your joy is only as strong as its foundation. We talked a while ago about during the recession, the, the, the Great Recession and the Great Depression and the Great Recession, there were corporate CEOs that had lost millions and millions of dollars overnight and chose suicide because their joy was founded in money. And when that foundation was assaulted, their joy was destroyed. But we, uh, what this is promising us is that we are able to have a foundational level of joy that is below, that is deeper, that is beneath the joy and the, the rightful joy that we take in God's good pleasures in the world so that our joy is founded in something that is unshakable. We will have sadness, we will have grief, we will have pain and trouble in the world, but it won't be our ultimate uh, identity. It won't be our ultimate reality because at the lowest, at the most foundational level, we are rejoicing in the eternal life that God has promised us that will not be taken. And so three, it recognizes that our sadness is short and it recognizes that our sadness, uh, that our, our sadness and our grief is incomparable to what God has promised. It's, first, it's short. It's Mother's Day, so let me tell you. Nisa, she left? Ah. I hate telling stories about Nisa when she's not here. We had, it gives this example, it gives this analogy in, in this passage about, about a mother and birth pangs, and she is in turmoil until the baby is born. And I've, I've been through that three times, and it's true. The last time little Robbie was born, Nisa had uh, the first two kids. They put her on Pitocin, which is a, a drug that causes forces and induces labor in you. And it, it is so violent that she went from literally nothing to full-blown contractions within a, just like that. We were, the first with Hannah, we were partying in the, in the hotel room-like atmosphere of our birthing suite at the uh, Kaiser Marriott. And <laughs> having a good time, that Pitocin hit, bang, and she was down and in contractions. With her third kid, Robbie, she didn't want to do Pitocin, and so she thought she would sweat it, you know, go through labor naturally herself. But labor was so 
painless compared to the Pitocin that she was uh, almost, she was almost at 10 centimeters at our house before she came and got me. And when she came and got me, she was literally calling upon the name of the Lord to save her. Oh, God! (laughs) We got in the car. I was excited about it because this is my big chance to do 120 miles an hour in the breakdown lane during traffic. Uh, And so we get to the hospital. They wheel her upstairs. Uh, All that pain, all everything vanishes in a minute when they give you your your kid. You have this brand new child, and then you get to take your shirt off, and they call it skin to skin. You hold your child against your skin for the first time, and the joy is so unspeakable that no one talks about the labor. No one talks about the pain that that just happened. You don't even remember it or think about it. In the face of this incomparable joy, God wants us to know that's going to be our experience. Right now we're in labor. It's painful. But in a little while, wham, we're going to be with the Lord and it's going to be so inexpressibly joyful and we're not going to be tripping about any of this right now. Which brings us to the second thing, that it's incomparable and this is all over the Bible. 30, uh, Psalm 30, verse 5, For his anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 says that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. What we're experiencing right now is tiny compared to the eternity of inexpressible joy that we will have with God. So, summing up. Number one, point one. While the world takes joy in death, we take joy in the promise of eternal life. Point three. Now and forever through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at verses 16 through 18. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. And so they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. The big question that they're asking in the first four verses of this passage, in an eight-verse passage, he takes four verses, John takes four verses up to reiterate this question over and over and over again. And it all gets down to this one sentence where he says, what does he mean by a little while? That's the big question. What, or in other words, when is Jesus talking about? What is the little while? Is it, is he talking to the apostles, to the disciples only, just talking about his death and resurrection? In other words, in about 12 hours, you're not going to see me for three days, and then you're going to see me again. That doesn't really fly because it says when that happens that no one will ever take their joy again. Trust me, uh, after Jesus was killed, somebody took their joy. 
in between that and the parousia, or in between that and the, and the, uh, the coming of the Spirit, for sure. And so the question is, when is this happening? When will our hearts rejoice? When will our joy be totally secure so that no one will ever take it from us again? When will we have this kind of direct access to the Father when we can ask anything in Jesus' name? We have to wait for the second coming for these promises? And the answer is yes and no. The answer is there are two things that are true. That these things are true of us now, in part. Remember he said a little while ago, in, in I think verse chapter 14, he told the disciples that the world will not see me, but you will see me. And he was talking about his ascension into heaven and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so this is not talking about the resurrection, but talking about at Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit these promises became true for the disciples and also for each and every one of us when the Holy Spirit applies to us the finished work of the cross and brings us into contact. All of Ephesians is all about this. First and second chapter specifically, it says in Ephesians 2.18 that through Jesus we have access in one spirit to the Father, we are united with Christ and therefore we are united with the Father and have access to him to ask in Jesus' name anything that we would, ha- anything, anything that we would ask according to Jesus' name and according to his will. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit means that our joy is, being, is, being, is, being, is in the process of being fulfilled as the Holy Spirit illuminates our minds to who Jesus is and to what he's done. Uh, through word, preaching the word, through the sacrament, through prayer, as he illuminates our minds in ever greater degree to who Jesus is, the greater the joy of our hearts overflows. And as we have our hearts more and more conformed to the likeness of Christ, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, then we have more and more access to the power of God through our prayers. Uh, and what's super important to remember through all this, and we can't ever, ever emphasize this enough, this is Ephesians 1 talks about this, but the reason that we have this hope now in the giving of the Holy Spirit, the reason we know we have this hope and that it's not going to be taken away from us, that we can look forward to ever-increasing uh, blessing and we can look forward in certainty to the forever part of this is because Jesus has promised to hold on to us. It is not our power of holding on to Christ through these things that gives us these blessings. Ephesians 1 tells us is that we have them because Jesus holds on to us and we can rest in him and rest in total confidence that he will finish what he has started in us. And what he has started in us now in this small way he will complete on that day when we are finally and completely with him that these things are also true of us forever. You ever have one of those moments, and I mean a, a moment or two, where everything is perfectly okay? 
Where you like, you catch yourself almost, and you're like, wow, I am totally content right now. It literally happened to me last night. It doesn't happen often. Last night, I'm sitting in, sitting in bed, had all my commentaries surrounding me. <laughs> Studying, writing the sermon, and, and it had nothing to do except just meditate on God's word, no pressure, and I just, it just caught me. I thought to myself, everything is okay right now. I am totally a prayer, just a spontaneous prayer, kind of busted out. God, I am totally content right now. This is amazing. The only thing that soiled it was the knowledge that it wasn't going to last, <laughs> that something was going to happen, Right? And something was I, my alarm clock this morning. <laughs> what this is saying is, what this is saying to us, what, what the Spirit wants us to know, he wants you to know, was that someday, in a little while, micron is the Greek word, just gives us a foothold on how small this is meant to be. In a little while, we're going to enter into one of those moments where everything's just perfectly okay. But the difference is, we will know it's never going to end. In fact, it's going to continue to increase, and our joy will continue to increase as God, through his Spirit, brings us deeper and deeper into the knowledge of him forever. Forever. And that is, our, that is the promises that we have, that we hold on to now, to let us know that everything is going to be okay. Amen? So to conclude with, conclusion, this is all just a matter of perspective, of holding on to an eternal perspective in the midst of this life. Let me, let me ask you a question. I want you to imagine that somebody came in here and grabbed you and took you out somewhere and locked you into a cage and then left the room and you had no idea when you were going to get out. Would that be frightening? Yes, that would be terrifyingly scary because you wouldn't know. What was going to happen? Now, take the same situation. You're locked in a cage, but you know for certain you're getting out in five minutes and you're going to Disneyland. Could you sit in the cage for five minutes? Your experience would be totally different. The first experience, even if they left you out five minutes later, would be terror, uncertainty, stress. But this time, five minutes, Disneyland, I got this, right? No problem. Let me check my phone. I'll be out of here before I know it. The difference is, uh, it's time. The big difference in comparison to the 70 years that you will be alive on this earth, five minutes is inconsequential. Inconsequential. And so, it's no, no big deal. Now, remember, Imagine you are an eternal being and you are promised, it is promised to you that you will exist in unimaginable glory and power and light for an eternity with God. Now imagine, so you're put into the cage of a deteriorating human body in a somewhat unfriendly environment and you don't know what happens when you die. Would that be scary? That would be scary. That would be terrifying. But if you were put into the cage of a deteriorating human body 
in a somewhat unfriendly environment, but you knew that when you died, you would be with the Lord forever. You would be resurrected in a body of unimaginable power and light and that that would go on forever and ever. Can you handle the 70 years in the light of eternity? Yes, could. It's all a matter of perspective. It's a matter of time. Because of what God has promised us, we can rejoice in his perfect promises. And that rejoicing in the promises of what is to come allows us to go through this life, not sweat it, and to be witnesses to his promises for anyone he would put in front of us. Amen? Okay. Father, we thank you for your word and the beauty of it. Lord, we pray. Lord, when the devil tempts us to believe that your promises aren't true, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us. Lord, as Martin Luther said, when the devil tempts us to remember our past, let us remind him of his future. Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand who we are and where we're going, and we pray that you would give us uh, the courage to be faithful witnesses here as we await, as we know you are good, Lord. We pray that we would have an eternal perspective and that you would use us greatly in the world to magnify your great name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.